Well, hey, everybody. Christian and I are here. It's Peter. Excited to share with you today. Have a great discussion today. Continue in this discussion on rituals that we've been having. I think we mentioned this last time, but if you've been following along, we did make an update the last couple um, the last couple of weeks around Eastlake and wrapping up 2023. Um, so if you missed that update, um, we'd encourage you to go back and to watch that. Uh, we did a, a ritual discussion a couple of weeks ago now on aging and on celebrating birthdays and that whole concept. Today, we get to talk about grief, but I want to kind of rewind a little bit to kind of go back through this year. Because really this year has been a year where we've been focusing on rituals. It was kind of the theme for our year. We've been going through Sasha Sagan's book, for small creatures such as we, um, but we kind of rewound it and we were discussing earlier just all the different rituals that we've discussed. We started the year with Kent. And he kind of did this awesome discussion, the idea of just an intro to rituals. What is a ritual and how does it serve us? What does it do to help us? It connects us to this broader group, helps bring meaning to our life. And then Chris, uh, Kristen, you interviewed Benji, kind of mm. some discussion on Christian rituals and which of those still kind of apply. Uh, which of those still have meaning and which of those still kind of make sense given some evolution in our worldview and maybe some like you know an outfit that you used to wear and you used to love and maybe you don't like some aspects of it anymore but you still like some parts of it uh, so that was a great discussion I love we did that discussions. One. I know we did some great discussions that. on springtime and easter um Kristen led a discussion on fertility we did a discussion. Um, we had two ones. One was on spring and one was on summer. So we kind of went through on um, some of that stuff. We interviewed Sarah and Brittany talking about mental health rituals. And then last time we talked about aging. Today, we're wrapping our discussion on rituals. This is one of our last recordings. We have a couple more um, on the year that we'll talk about in a little bit. But this is kind of our wrap up um, when it comes to Sasha's book and just the idea of rituals. Uh, and today we're going to talk about grief. So looking back on the year, did I miss anything when it comes to rituals comes to, that comes to uh, your brain or uh, anything that I missed there? No, I think overall for me, this, that book and these discussions, I think I'm really thankful for them because they've just taught me to be more aware of mm -hmm. my everyday life and what a gift it is. And that's what we've been saying at Eastlake. Life is a gift. Love is yeah. the point. And I think these discussions just reminded me to mark those things, to be aware of the gifts and mm -hmm. not get so quickly moving through my days and my life that I, that I miss it. And I think there's yeah. a danger in that. And so these are just these discussions and implementing some of these rituals have helped me just remember to mark where I'm at yeah. in my life and in this world. And I'm thankful for that. Yeah. I did out of that. I was thinking too, for like the last, I mean, for until, until Eastlake, until the last couple of years where a lot of my perspective has shifted, Christianity facilitated almost all of my meaning making, right? So like there was uh, like when it's springtime, when it's Easter, when it's Christmas, when there's a child, when there's, you know, like all of the different rituals were kind of just, my hand was held for me. Um, to be able to like kind of make sense and to bring meaning and significance to my experience and kind of transitioning out of Christianity as my primary worldview, I really appreciated this book to help remind me that Christianity can bring lots of meaning, but there's plenty of meaning making out there that, that um, like yeah. Christianity doesn't own all of the meaning making on the planet, um, but that you have to kind of be intentional, right? And I was right, I kind of, it's, I think it's brought up that. I was having that facilitated for me and I wasn't driving most of it. I was kind of just in the, the lazy river getting pushed down by the current. And um, I've been challenged through um, this book and through kind of um, her perspective, because I think it's reminded me like, Ooh, I need to be intentional with that because it can be easy just to get lost in your algorithm or follow the cadence of whatever society says. And if you aren't intentional with, bringing about rituals and making time for meaning making and intentionality you can kind of just be on autopilot and not kind of fully be awake feels like yeah. so I've, been, I've appreciated the year i think it's been challenging <clears throat> me too <laughs> mm -hmm. 
Today we're talking grief. Uh, I made the joke a minute ago that these calls feel recently just like we spent an hour crying together. And um, I don't think today is going to be any different. <laughs> last I'm week, already, I'm already you know, last there. Last week we were discussing what should we talk about when it comes to grief and rituals around grief. And um, obviously there's just an important human ritual of grieving loss. Grieving is an important aspect of being human. Um, but then when you layer in, I think some of the East Lake, the, the shifting of, of this chapter, right? The wrapping up of East Lake, and there's additional layers when it comes to grief. And so um, last week was a little bit teary um, in all of my prep, uh, listening to different pieces of content related to grief. There were tears and there's probably going to be some tears on this call too, <laughs> which is okay. But um It'll be interesting to see how today goes. <laughs> yeah. um, in starting the conversation on grief, where do you want to start? Well, I think both of us went back and looked at, I still have people who have reached out to me about a message that I did about grief years and years ago. And I couldn't find that video from Eastlake, but I did have my notes. So I was going back through. Um, And then we did... Last year, we did a three-week series on grief um, facilitated by Sarah Hansen. And I think I would just like to say to people, those are probably worth re-listening to if you find yourself in a season of grief. Um, I think those are really helpful. I'm not sure how much of what we talk about today is going to be helpful or just you and I processing out loud. And maybe that is helpful to some people. but. I think one of the things that we all have mentioned in our conversations about grief is that um, there's very different elements to loss there. And as I was reading my message, I was talking, I started by saying loss is not just the loss of a person. It's not just Mm -hmm. the death of a human, um, but it's the loss of, I mean, you grieve the loss of anything, any relationship, any season in your life. When it ends, there will most likely be grief. And I think my perspective on grief has come from mostly my experience of losing my nephew, which if you've been around Eastlake at all, I think you've probably heard me talk about. If you haven't, just know that that shapes what I'm going to say today. Um, mm-hmm. that we lost my nephew when he was three. And most of my grief lessons I learned through that process, but I feel like today is different for me. And then I'm talking about the, the loss of a season. Um, yeah. And so I'm just, I've just been sitting with that today and this last week as you and I have talked. Um, even this morning, I walked my kid, I walked my kids to the bus stop and came back I had my coffee and I was like, okay, I still have some time before I get on with Peter. And then I, so I was, I checked the news for a few minutes and then I was scrolling through Instagram and this, there was a Seattle Mariners post and it was like, one of our favorite fans was able to stop by again. And it was this boy who survived cancer and there were pictures of him Mm. with like Julio Rodriguez and the team. And I was sitting at my kitchen table just, you know, an hour ago and I was just in tears because I'm like gosh so thankful that boy survived yeah and I'm so sad that ours didn't and I think that to me is just what grief looks like is it just it's just there when you lose something it's always there and yeah it's just a a thing that we have to learn how to hold as humans it's just part of our experience yeah in re-listening to that series, um, Sarah's series, which thank you, Sarah, um, I teared up a number of times in, uh, in kind of revisiting some of the stuff she shared and Sarah Nystrom shared. But um, a big theme was just ultimately grief is always associated with endings, right? And it can be the ending of a life, right? Um, a loved one. It can be the ending of a chapter. It can be the ending of an expectation or a dream, right? Like I, I wanted something happen i wanted this relationship to go somewhere i wanted this career to go somewhere and the ending of that creates this sense of loss right grief is is always obviously connected to loss 
And I was thinking too about even East Lake, like for people that love East Lake or have been around in the community and that would say they, they love the idea that life is a gift and love is the point, right? If you have that written down in a journal somewhere or, um, you know, that's like an idea that has resonated with you at all, that love is the point <laughs> at some level to experience love, then you need to like learn how to grieve basically, because there's no way so it's like the opposite, right? It's the, the yin yang. It is the opposite side of the love. If you love deeply, you will unfortunately be required to become an expert at grieving. Um, it's the price you pay for loving, basically. That's the cost of loving deeply. Um, and I, I think whether that is just feels sad or feels like something that is um, maybe it's our culture or it's just a human thing of that avoidance, like not wanting to, uh, I know I tend to be a positive person. So, you know, folks, the glass half full, right. Type of personality. <laughs> um, I think more often than not, um, it can be something that we're not taught. It's not like, as a, I mean, often we're taught growing. I mean, at least maybe for me, um, maybe this is privilege and um, not having experienced a lot of loss until you age a little bit, but um I don't think, I think maybe that's even going back to the aging discussion. Part of the challenge of aging is you re, is recognizing that there's a lot more loss in life than you were planning on, um, at least if you had it pretty easy growing up. So I think your experience with your nephew um, is a good example of, of just the price you pay for loving. And we all have to, we're all going to be faced with opportunities to grief um, and we have to kind of learn how to do it. Yeah. It is, it's the price you pay. Um, it makes me think of this poem that I sent you. <clears throat> I'd love to read it. It's by Louise. Yeah. I don't know how to say her last name. Erdrick. Louise Erdrick, yeah. Yeah. Um, I feel like it fits in here, so I'll read it. Life will break you. Nobody can protect you from that. And being alone won't either, for solitude will also break you with its yearning. You have to love. You have to feel. It's the reason you are here on earth. You have to risk your heart. You are here to be swallowed up. And when it happens that you are broken or betrayed or left or hurt or death brushes too near, let yourself sit by an apple tree and listen to the apples falling all around you in heaps, wasting their sweetness. Tell yourself that you tasted as many as you could. I think that's one of the things that you and I have been talking about as we process the end mm -hmm. of this season. And obviously it's a season of gratitude, um, which we'll be talking about you know, in our next messages, <laughs> we'll be more yeah. focused on that. Um, but when you love something, when you work really hard at something, um, when it ends, I think my hope is that the things that I love the most when they end, that I can look back and be like that was love that was it yeah and i i tasted as much as i could right yeah just wanting to i, I love that poem it, it reminds you to focus on how much you did your best probably right like that whole like concept of um most people are doing their best right that's a sentence that's said around <laughs> Brittany says that to me whenever I sound critical of another person or myself or whatever and um I think that poem is a reminder of like the importance of focusing there because when you are experiencing loss it's easy to, to kind of spiral into feeling that sorrow for waste or what could have been done better right I was thinking about that as my kids age right I've couple friends whose kids are a little older one friend who's, whose daughter's heading off to college i know we, we discussed i have a couple friends whose kids are heading off to college right kids that i was at the hospital right you mentioned all yeah. right um i've held this child and now they're at whatever you dub and it's crazy to think about um and then i have a, a buddy that sent me a video of his kid 
Uh, and I was like, oh my gosh, he's he's a teenager now. He's not a kid. And like even like recognizing like, ooh, I'm like like a year or two away from like feeling the loss of like, did I do enough in my daughter's childhood? Because she's now in teenager land and childhood is over. Like, did like I think it can be easy to spiral into sorrow, like, ooh, I could have, should have, maybe if I'd have done better. Um, I think we can get kind of critical. And so, anyways, I love that poem as a reminder to be kind to ourselves and to focus on all the things that we did to do our best. Yeah. I, those of you who were around East, like when we were meeting in person, one of my best friends in all my life is Amy Olison. And uh, her son just went to college. That's the one that Peter was mentioning. I was saying I was, I went to the hospital. And uh, like knew it was coming. I think that's an element of grief. Like the anticipation of it, it's coming. Eric and Amy knew he was graduating and going to college. Yeah. Um, But that moment of dropping him off, I met, I saw them last week before they did that. And, uh, we kind of joked around about how they're ready and he's ready and all of those things. But that picture, oh my gosh, I I think it was last night that they, I don't know when it was, Sunday, that they posted him. I sat on my couch and I cried. And Andy was yeah. like, what is wrong with you? And I'm like, I'm already imagining 10 years totally. from now when I take JB to wherever he's going or whatever he's doing in life. And that feeling, the anticipatory feeling is really overwhelming. Yeah. Yeah, I was when we were thinking through that, I find myself um <laughs> I can't think not of succession. Those of you that have never seen the show, spoiler alert. But there's a there's a character in succession who says um that he's not sad about something. He says I've already pre-grieved that. Like I already <laughs> I knew it was coming and so I've pre-grieved and so it's not gonna like I, I I'm not impacted by it because his siblings are asking why why isn't he freaking out basically and he's like I've already pre-grieved that. And then, of course, in the show, um, when he actually is confronted with the loss, he hadn't pre-grieved it. But I find myself relating to that, like trying to pre-grieve, like, or, you know, I want to like live out this experience. Okay, kids going off to college or um, whatever. Lake, you name the, the wrapping the, of Eastlake. The future thing, the wrapping of Eastlake. Yeah. I'm going to feel like sad about it. And then when it gets here, I won't have to. But my, the older I get, the more I just feel like, oh, now I'm just feeling it twice because there's no way to avoid right? That the tears coming when you drop your kid off, or there's no way to avoid feeling sad when we have to have, you know, this wrap up to the, to this experience. So anyways, I think pre-grieving is a, is a tendency. I find myself trying to, it's like a way to like feel less hurt or less sorrow, mm-hmm. but I kind of think it makes you just feel sorrow more. Or, or maybe it's just like an, like a not admitting that I'm feeling sad about it. And so it's like, I'm through this. I'm working through this. Like, I'm <laughs> like, it's just like denial. It's the first stage of grief, right? It's like, I've already dealt with this or I, I've already come to, um, I've come to accept this already when really that's the denial phase. Basically you're, you're just at the beginning. Yeah. I think there's an unavoidable part of it. If you know that something is ending, sometimes we don't know. Yeah. And that grief is um, immense and has a different element to it. I think there's sometimes when you know something is ending, whether it's you know someone is dying or your marriage is ending or your child's going off or this, we know that this season of our lives um, at Eastlake is wrapping up. I think you're right. You can't pre-grieve. You also can't stop yourself from anticipating it. Yeah, there's it's an element of both. You you can't you have to acknowledge the reality and not sit in denial. Um, but I think what I what I sit with, and that's so hard, is that nothing can prepare you for the actual moment when that thing is gone. Yeah. And I think I, I, once you're old enough and you've experienced enough life and when you've experienced loss, you know, that feeling, it's very disorienting. Um, the moment that something is over, 
um, that I think your, your body, your mind, your conscience tries to like prepare you for it. Um, and that's, I think that's normal. I don't know how else to, to, <laughs> to walk yeah. through, to walk through something. Um, but since we're talking about grief, I think that you have to be honest. There's just nothing that can prepare you for that moment. Yeah. Um, yeah. when something is gone yeah with the reality of, of like something becomes a memory um that anyone who's lost a loved one a grandparent a parent a child there's um there's there's just a stark moment when the, you you're Spirit, your body, your humanness has to acknowledge that that person is no longer here on earth. And there's nothing that prepares you for that. Yeah. It reminds me of something Sarah said in their talk. Um, the, the talk she presented, she talked about a quote, and essentially the, the summary of the quote is that grief is not a problem to be solved. You'll, you'll never triumph over grief. Like you won't, oh, I'm feeling grief, and now I got to get through this grief and accomplish this grief season so then i can move to the next season um if you try to solve it you'll never find relief the key is to accept the loss acknowledge what you're going through and, and, and start to feel the feelings basically like experience mm -hmm. those feelings that's the way to manage it and to also recognize that once you've lost it's going to come up at different seasons forever right like once mm -hmm. once you've experienced that loss like you'll essentially you'll feel those feelings at different points in the future too so to not try to get rid of those as much as mm -hmm. to just notice them and or have the expect or have the expectation that you're going to get rid of them right as yeah. as i talked about this morning i'm just scrolling instagram yeah and the mariners come up there and that's right. not and i think i've come to I've grieved that long enough to know that I don't have the expectation that it will never be sad. Yeah. Um, I think that's a part of grief too, that um, we're, I think we're getting better as I will just speak, I think from an American cultural standpoint there, I feel like there's been progress that's been made in terms of just it used to be like, let's help people feel better. Let's help mm -hmm. people get over it. Let's help people move on, laugh instead of cry and move yeah. on. And um, I think there's just a better general understanding of mental health now and the processes that we go through as humans where um, we're getting better at just acknowledging the only way through it is through it. And yeah. um, you have to sit with those feelings, process those feelings, live with them, learn to partner with them and accept them as part yeah. of your life rather than denying them or pushing them away. Yeah. I think we've gotten better at that, but I think that's what we're talking about too, is this, there's, there's rituals um, that, you know, rituals become an important part of that. I think of handling the feelings as we move through something that's sad. But for me, one of the things that I heard early on in in my therapy was um, I was doing um, EMDR, which is a like a a therapy that deals with trauma. And I remember my therapist saying, um, "Sad things will always be sad," and. Mm. There won't ever be a point where this experience is not sad. Um, and I think that was, that's been really helpful. Yeah. Um, there's things that you can do to, um, I, I guess I would just say, to, if anyone is listening or watching that has experienced trauma as part of their grief, that there are things that can help you um, move past that part of it. And I encourage people to reach out for help. But the acknowledgement that sad things will always be sad 
is a big part of grief. Yeah. It reminds me of the whole piece of sadness. It reminds me of Inside Out when yeah. you talk about how culturally we've gotten better. And hopefully we are, or at least making progress, maybe not getting better, but we're, the conversation is more prevalent than it used to be. Um, and we were doing, Brittany and I were doing some parent therapies and counseling to help with our kids. Because in, in one of the situations, one of the, the pieces of, of encouragement for our, our, our kind of how we can help coach our children is to help our child get to the sadness sooner, basically, like to help them recognize that it's actually, we're not mad about this. Mad is the easy feeling that feels more comfortable, especially for boys. Um, yeah. What's actually going on is sadness. And mm-hmm. so like the, the, the help to help this child progress in their emotional awareness is to help them feel sad. Um, not just to get them to acknowledge anger, which is another grief stage, by the way. Um, so just, I thought it was just kind of interesting when you're bringing up sad things will always be sad to notice too, like, at least for me, it's easier to be annoyed than it is to be sad. It feels safer to be mad about something or to be that just to have, it feels so vulnerable to have to admit disappointment or loss or sadness, right? That feels like a really tough emotion to say out loud. It doesn't feel culturally acceptable often. It feels like at least as a man, you're supposed to not, um, you're supposed to be able to move through that, right? Basically, or to, to like be strong, basically. Um, and so, and I'm not saying that's reality. I'm just saying that's sometimes the messaging that, that you can hear. And so I think I really appreciate what you're speaking to. And I think part of, um, hopefully we can continue to reward societally people for expressing sorrow and sadness mm-hmm. um, as a, a critical component of the human experience and one that we'll all, we all feel or we all experience, whether we allow ourselves to feel it or not. We certainly um, have all been disappointed by, by life. And I think the, the more we can feel those feelings and, and acknowledge them out loud without embarrassment or shame or um associating a should that that if i were i don't know sarah mentioned this too in her talk pain is real just because something is painful doesn't mean something is wrong right you can feel like just because you're sad doesn't mean you made a mistake or right that's that like spiral of like what a waste i shouldn't have even loved i shouldn't have even taken that job i shouldn't even married i shouldn't whatever the Mm -hmm. should get going um so like the more we can just acknowledge sorrow without feeling like we're terrible people because we're feeling sad yeah um I think it'll be progress. I think I have to grow on that. It's really helpful. But, yeah. Um, it's not wrong. We didn't make. Yeah. I mean, maybe we make mistakes, but. <laughs> yeah. The something ending is a natural part of human existence. Um, it's the the flow of life in everything is there's a beginning and there's an end yeah so accepting that and seeing it as all part of our story um is helpful yeah i was thinking about how some of the things um we we kind of reviewed some of the rituals like um surrounding grief you and I've talked about Mm -hmm. and I talked about some of them in the message that I did on grief and I still I still think they're really interesting to discuss and kind of speak to what you were just talking about in terms of shame um, and allowing people to feel sorrow and not being uncomfortable in that Mm -hmm. and I will always think about um, the this night when I was in Malawi in East Africa and we were staying at um, this place and it would, it shared, next to it was just a village, you know, of people living their life. And we were, I was walking back to my cabin with some of my Malawian friends and <clears throat> there was all of a sudden this like noise that erupted and I was, it was dark. There's, there was no lights and, I, and it was dark and it was all of this kind of like screaming and wailing and just loud human voices making these Mm. very strange sounds and I was caught off guard by it and I asked I was I was like um (laughs) what 
what is what that? Is that? <laughs> and I remember my friend explaining that someone had died in the village next door and that there was a tradition where at night all of the women in the village would make these wailing sounds, these screaming sounds, so that the family that lost someone could cry in peace and not be heard or be ashamed for the sounds that they yeah. were making. Um, I'll never, I'll never forget that moment. Just the idea of like our village helping us grieve yeah. and um, creating space for that family to experience the emotions that go along with it. I don't know that we can recreate that exact thing here, no. but the idea of allowance and giving space mm -hmm. to people who are in the midst of sorrow um, is something worth spending time on. Yeah. I think that practice is beautiful. If you think about like what that, the beliefs of that, those people would be that grieving is not only like important or necessary, but it should be like, we want to make it easy and natural for them to experience what they're going through. Um, it reminds me of some of the grief series talking about how a common feeling or a common thing that people do when others are grieving is trying to fix it. Mm -hmm. Or they're like, they're, and again, we're uncomfortable with their loss right it's so and so there then i start saying things to like try to make myself feel less uncomfortable um the recommendation is to not fix right just to be present not to talk about <laughs> what could have been or should have been or right like there's so many great if you're if you're i think actually the, the recommendation if you have somebody who is grieving please go listen to those um talk to like how to help and how to not help but i love that practice as an example of something that isn't fixing Mm -hmm. right that's a great example of not fixing somebody who's grieving not telling somebody to move through it quicker not telling them that whatever future thing will be better or could have been better um and they're just allowing them to experience their loss that's yeah. like the definition of empathy right right like i'm gonna make it i'm gonna go through what you're going through with you right yeah the other one that i remember reading from david kessler i think um if you don't know Kessler, he was like a phenomenal researcher on grief and wrote some really powerful books kind of explaining it. One of the first ones to, I think he was the one that did the stages of grief. Um, mm. But he talks about in one of his books about um, when someone dies, um, a practice of moving things around in your house or in a room, just the acknowledgement that in your physical world that something has changed and won't ever be the same. And I actually thought about that this morning as I was coming in to record with you into my office. I was like, Ooh, I've done so much East Lake work in this space. Yeah. And I was like, I think I might need to move it around. <laughs> yeah. I think I might need like a new desk and move things around to acknowledge that like I spent so much time in this space working on this thing that I love and maybe I need to mark that change somehow in my, in my physical world. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting to think that moving things around and acknowledging it, right. Acknowledging that, things are different is more helpful than pretending that nothing's changed. Right. Um, I just think that's so fascinating that in some ways, like making it more obvious that everything has changed helps. Um, I think that speaks to also one of the things I talked about was there's a, a really strange thing that happens when you experience something traumatic or something like the loss of a person and everything else in the world seems to stay the same. It's one of the weirdest, most disorienting parts of like you're sitting 
You might even be in the room when someone leaves this earth. And yet you look outside and someone's driving to the grocery store and school buses are driving by and it's a, it's an awful feeling of like, what do you mean the world keeps going? My world has just ended. It feels like, um, and so I think there is this element of like needing to acknowledge that things will never be the same. Things will never be as they just were yesterday. Yeah. Um, And even though that's true, you know, no matter (laughs) your loss, um, there's something to acknowledging that and doing something about it so that you can acknowledge that feeling that you have of the drastic change that happened inside of you and making it a reality outside of you too. Yeah. You know, it's interesting you bring that up reminds in a small way. I think it's much smaller, but as we wrap East, like it reminds me, like even communicating publicly, uh, sending messages to people, calling to people and sending emails to different former staff and people who've obviously been around East like forever. Um, it is, has been in some ways a reminder that like, oh, East Lake ended for you a long time ago. <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah. ending for us now. Right. Mm-hmm. But like the revolving door concept that you've spoken to, like people transitioned out of East like being a, a critical piece of the pie. And it's still been pretty important to us and a handful of, of people and, and still a group of people that are, are now kind of fully grieving. I think the wrap, but a lot of people already went through that phase. Mm-hmm. So it's just fascinating. Like the world has gone on without East like meeting at Juanita. The yeah. world has gone on without campuses and drinks for drinks and all the things that are in East Lake's <laughs> history, the world keeps moving. Um, and I think that's partly some of the challenge of the grief is to recognize like that was what was central to my world has shifted, not central mm-hmm. to everybody else. And it's like this acknowledgement that something important to me was lost. Um, and it's important to say it out loud. Mm-hmm. And, also, the- oh, go ahead. and also, we have also received messages from people that have said, you know, East Lake feels like it ended for me a long time ago. And yet hearing from you guys about the official ending brings up feelings for me. We've gotten those messages too. Um, For sure. Both. You're right. That um, the official ending of something can bring up things that maybe you thought you processed already. You yeah. thought you pre-grieved. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. I've moved on. Oh, I haven't. I haven't fully mm-hmm. moved on. Right. Yeah. Some of the other rituals Sasha brought up that I was reminded that just different cultures have when it comes to loss. Um, she brought up some of the early ones, like the example of mummification mm-hmm. and even cultures that would like have a body that was wrapped like um, in kind of like this mummy state publicly as this kind mm-hmm. of like, we want to slow down the process of feeling like they're gone. Um, And the idea of like helping them be around a little bit longer in the day to day. I thought that was interesting. She brought up. um, Oh yeah. She said that's uh, an example of a physical, um, a physical incarnation of denial. Right. It's like this really (laughs) great example of stage one, right. Like that they're not gone yet. Uh, She mentioned pouring one out. um, The idea of pouring out, you know, pouring out Mm -hmm. a drink for a loved one and, um, how that isn't just um, an example that comes up in rap songs or whatever, but that it's actually an ancient tradition found in Rome and Africa and Greece. This idea of like, right, we're going to, us friends are going to have a drink and we're going to pour a drink out for the friend that should be here or the family member that should be here. Um, she also mentioned an example from Bulgaria where when you've lost a loved one, you put a poster up, like a picture of that person, like prominently displayed outside your house with some like qualities and like information about them. And then you put that same poster up every year, like as a, as a marker, like an anniversary of their life. And I was even thinking about just having a picture of loved ones that maybe aren't with us anymore in our, in your home as just a really some like important, significant way to acknowledge that they're not here anymore, but they're still a part of my life. and still a part of that. I thought that was a beautiful, like public way of acknowledging that and I don't I don't feel like we like you said I think we're making progress but that isn't I don't feel like there's a ton of American traditions that 
like make it normal and like prominently display a loved one that we don't have or a loss right it feels like that's something maybe that's maybe that's just my experience but it feels like there's those are some beautiful examples and ways that we could maybe grow make that a little bit more prominent yeah, I think there's a need to say this was real, mm-hmm. even if now it's only a memory. And finding ways to do that is part of grief. And there's a variety of things that I think you you have to do what um, is meaningful for you. I mean, I. I have jewelry, I have a tattoo, I have pictures. I've done things to try to remind myself that that was real. Mm-hmm. There's a um one of my favorite books about grief was C.S. Lewis his book A Grief Observed. Um it's very raw and I appreciate his um it was kind of his journaling about his wife dying and uh i don't know the exact line and i couldn't find the book because i know i underlined it and my book i I think i read that (laughs) probably five times it's just worn worn out but he writes that um someone basically said to him something along the lines of like she will always be with you and his response to that was no, that's precisely the problem. She will not be. Yeah. And that's what I'm sitting in, essentially, was yeah. um, trying to mark this reality that something was here and now it's gone. Yeah. Yeah, that was discussed in the series, too. Some of the one of my favorite concepts going through the stages, right? Denial, anger, bargaining, depression. The last one, acceptance. Acceptance isn't. I've accepted that uh, I, I am accepting that I've lost this, right? Acceptance is more I can now function despite my loss. Um, and they brought up the idea of metabolization as like the best metaphor. So we yeah. metabolize food, right? So when you metabolize loss, you've ingested it, you've broken it down, you've allowed it to become a part of you, basically. So instead of I, I love that as basically like the definition of of acceptance is you've metabolized your loss. You've like yeah. received integrated. it inside of you. It's like an integration. integrated it. Yeah. And it's not, it's not like even going back to that CS Lewis thing, you've, ex, um, you have allowed the loss to become a part of you. Right. So like maybe, you know, his wife will never be with him, but he's now able to continue to move forward with that embrace of she's not going to be here anymore um which feels like it takes so much work and would and would like ebb and flow right i think you can't you're never going to live in that stage all the time but um i thought the idea of metabolization was kind of helpful yeah i think the highlight is just it's i've said it i think three times already it's just part of the human experience and as you grow older as you age and experience life, you're going to love more things. Yeah. And you're going to lose more things. It's just part of it. And so acknowledging that and learning how to, how to live with that is something we all have to do. Um, I think it's important for us to, um, as part of this, to specifically talk about East Lake. For yeah. you and I, this isn't going to be the portion of the of the talk where Peter and I do therapy. <laughs> totally right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but maybe our therapy will help other people process theirs with whatever they're losing in their life. But I guess I wanted to ask you, um, like, it's an important part of this process for us to talk about what we're losing. Mm-hmm. And I want you to go first. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I've spent a couple of years of losing. Um, it feels like being at East Lake ever since 2015, 14. 14. 
has felt like just a decade of losing things, right? So losing my worldview, losing stability, losing. So I feel like he's trained me to lose a lot of things, trained, <laughs> trained me to lose a lot of things, which I feel like that's I'm thankful for that. Um, I think the official end to Eastlake brings up a lot of feelings of, can bring up feelings of failure. Um, it can create some of that coulda, shoulda stuff. Um, I feel in terms of the things that probably matter the most though, um, Eastlake brought so much joy and meaning and community. Um, like being on staff at Eastlake and being like around the core of the people was this really energizing, beautiful, like inspirational experience for the last decade of my life. And it wasn't that like it was a it was a rhythm that was built into my weekly experience, almost daily experience of inspiration to live beautifully, inspiration to live selflessly, to try to become a better person, to try to grow and to be more loving and to be more vulnerable and more open-hearted. And now that I'm out of that environment, I realize how uncommon that is and how like that's no longer in my no longer in my algorithm, right? Uh, that isn't showing up for me. And so now I'm like, oh, I have if I want to live that way, I have to do like it was it was in this stream that I was being sent down on and I got to like ride the wave of that. And I feel like some grief that I don't I don't know, I feel some grief that maybe that will go away because I don't have that community holding my hand, pushing me down that that path. Um Eastlake created a lot of meaning for me, meaning I, I felt like I was doing good in the world because I was a part of Eastlake. Mm-hmm. And now I'm recognizing that I probably gave myself too much credit for um, like that being central to who I am. I was just like, kind of, yeah, I'm a part of this. So I'm part of something bigger than myself, I'm helping out the world. And now I feel like if I really want to say I live that way, I have to go do that and not just um, give myself credit for things that I used to be a part of in the past. Um, but I think I think the, the 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 top of the pyramid for me was just you know, I think this has been I've grieved some of this already was just though the loss of my identity like I'm I have more meaning the loss of my identity as a pastor as a Christian um, as all, all of those things that felt like identity markers I've I've grieved that and already I think that was something that East like kind of facilitated helped me walk through the loss of those things um and now not having that i'm like ooh, i hope i don't <laughs> hope i don't go through anything too big <laughs> because i needed that community to go through like the, the biggest thing of my life and so now i'm like who's gonna be there if i go through big shit because i'm gonna go through stuff come on like there's yeah. gonna be future shifts loss pain and i think there's maybe anxiety that i won't be as like supported now that I don't have that you know yeah those are some thoughts (laughs) what comes up for you all the things you said (laughs) um I'm not sure I've done a lot of like grieving East Lake yet um, because I've still really tried to be in it mm-hmm. and be present in the specific you know chapter that we're in. There's been sad things along the way and hard things along the way. And there's been chapters of East Lake that have ended before up yeah. to this point. So maybe it did grieve some of those, but I don't think they were ever really, um, I'm just a, I'm a symbolic person. I feel like that's, and I, I feel like as long as Eastlake has still been in existence, I haven't really like, hmm. 
grieved what it's been before. Yeah. So as we've kind of processed together over the last few months, the reality of it ending, um, I feel like I'm trying to (laughs) pre-grieve. Yeah, totally. I think it's easy. There's a lot of work to close down something like this. I mean, you and I have been busier and have had more meetings than we've had in years Mm -hmm. doing this part of it, which was surprising to me. Um, I feel like I'm grieving the loss of a role that I have played um, that has been really meaningful to me. Um, Being part of a team, even though the team has changed, I've been part of a team. Um, even just like you and me now, yeah, it feels like um, it feels like a loss for sure. Um, to lose part of just being a part of something. Um, I think. I'm grieving, or I will be grieving, just the loss of purpose. Of I had something to think about and be about and throw myself into. And that's a really great feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, even like the early years, the momentum and being part of something that felt really exciting and purposeful. And even the like shattering losses of, you know, those chapters of Isaac that were really hard still felt purposeful. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe even more important than the highs that we experienced. Yeah, in, with, in retrospect, right? Yeah. Like those were way more important. Yeah. Um, I have had, like you said, Christianity brought so much meaning. And I think Isaac brought a lot of meaning into my life. And I still have lots of things that are meaningful and will bring meaning into my life, but there's no denying that when the, when this finally ends, there will be um, a, a whole, there will be a part of me that um, just at that moment, who knows when the last email is, when we shut that down. I don't know what that moment is, but I've, I'm expecting yeah. that there's going to be a moment where I feel it like it's over. Um, I was sharing with you, I just ran, I turn on whatever movies are on. We still have cable. Um, and I just like, you know, at the end of the day, turning on movies that I've seen before, um, just to have in the background and just a little while ago, Sleepless in Seattle was on, and I barely ever watched that movie from the beginning. But Tom Hanks, you know, his wife dies, and then his son calls this radio and radio station, and she asks him about his grief, and he says, you know, she says, how are you going to keep going? And he's like, well, I'm going to get up and breathe every day and kind of go through it. And then he says this line where he says, um, and I'll remember how I had it great for a while. Mm. And I think about that with these, like, looking back and being like, man, we had it great. I had it great for a while. And I think the better something is, the harder it is to let go. And this mm-hmm. feels really hard because it was so great. Yeah. I think that's a great sentence that kind of defines grief, right? Like acknowledging that it was great is acknowledging that it's less great now, you know, Um, or at least different. I I think as you're sharing, it reminded me too, like, I'm definitely pre-grieving because we're still working on this and even this recording to help you like, you know, shift into the next chapter. We're going to do more talks where we focus on all the things we're grateful for. Yeah. Um, but I feel like 
there's going to be different moments over the next year or two where I experience something and I miss that I don't have East Lake in my life. And I don't know when that will be, but like talking to my kids will trigger that. When we talk about God, faith, spirituality, the universe, how the heck we got here. <laughs> uh, it'll remind me like, oh, I wish, like if you were around, you might have had, we might be having more of these conversations. Mm-hmm. So it'll be interesting to see which, I'll have to text you, which ones come up. It's like, <laughs> damn it, you took her around, that'd be really freaking nice right now. <laughs> We're going to continue our weekly Zoom calls, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Totally. I, I I, actually probably really benefit from that. But um, the sense of purpose, though, and camaraderie, um, we can still work, work towards that. Mm, yeah. The vessel. Is, yeah that vessel is gone yeah the rhythm the excuse the intrinsic i'm doing something that's um i mean can't talk about this in the first ritual stock right the idea that we need rich i was like why do we even need them we need them like humans need to feel like they're a part of something bigger than themselves like going to a seahawks game going to a concert going to a wedding going to a graduation it's like this feeling of we're a part of something that's bigger and he's like like that is critical to like human flourishing like, mm-hmm. like all humans need that like we lose that's when you speak to sense of purpose right like if we if we don't have that we're a part of something bigger than ourselves um it is a essentially it's a harder way to live it's harder to feel meaning and purpose and joy um, and East Lake's been that that greater, not just connected to like a small community in Bothell. It's like connected to the whole world, right? Connected to all of humanity, um, all of the biosphere, right? So I think losing that rhythm, I'll have to find it another way. I'll have to, I have to replace that in order to thrive. And I think the inspiration is replaceable, right? Like I still find things that I can be inspired by. Um, but I don't know. I, I maybe I call take backs on that because there's some content out there that's just, like really discouraging. <laughs> I didn't feel like I didn't feel like very really discouraged, you know. So I think um, I don't know. Being in a community where you thought you could make a difference, you felt like hope and purpose, like like this fostered the sense of hope that we're all, even if it's a hundred of us, we're trying to live as a beneficial yeah. presence in the world. Like that's really helpful on dark days when you're like in the world and you feel like is there anybody who's even trying to do anything other than like what's most selfish like it's helpful to have 100 people saying yep i'm trying to live as a beneficial presence in the world and so um, i'm gonna need that still you know yeah i think that's a reason why there's grief because i still need it yeah so um I still love it. I still find value. It's all those things, you know, that's why it's, that's why it's hard. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think all of these are important parts of just processing a loss, which is what we're doing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have one more thing I want to share, another poem, but did you have oh, anything else you wanted to? I do too. Well, I, let's end on your poem, but I just wanted okay. to share this one quote from that Sarah shared in hers because um, I loved it. And it was from um, someone that she referenced. I don't even know who specifically. Um, uh, Francis Weller. That's it. A quote from Francis Weller. Um, she says, grief is not an event in our life, but an ongoing conversation. I invite you to take up an apprenticeship with sorrow. This idea of, I just, I love that quote for some reason. It it messed with me. But just this idea of like to be fully alive, to be a a full human requires like accepting sorrow. It's going to be a part of our life. And if you think about the idea of apprenticeship, like letting it be our teacher Mm -hmm. um, and just like expect it, to expect that grief is a part of our life in a lot of different arenas and that, um, I need to let it be my mentor. It's just a beautiful idea. Yeah.
it's a teacher whether you want it to yeah. be or not <laughs> so yeah accepting that is a good idea um okay maybe we could just end with this perfect um this is a poem by someone that i've recently started to follow her name's emery hall and this is called come sit by my garden let my gardens speak for me when i am gone let them speak in colored whispers of all the beauty I have seen and felt and lived. Let them speak of how much death had to find me. How many hard seasons it took to make me a living, breathing thing. Let them speak of my seasons of growth and abundance, but let them also tell of my seasons of loss and decay. Let the soft, wet earth be a reminder of hardness that didn't win, of sadness that didn't calcify, of surrender that triumphed over resistance. And let the glorious, fragrant bloom speak of my life and its greatest lesson, that the beauty we make never dies. Thank you for joining us. To make a donation, head to eastlakecc.com slash donate.